So hey there, welcome back. Hey, it's Josh Cantwell, your host, and I'm really excited today to be with you and to be sharing with you. I've invited a new guest onto the show today. His name is Michael Roeder. He's one of the founders of Granite Towers Equity Group. Um, I had his partner, Dan, on the show uh, several months back, and I've invited Mike onto the show. And um, what I love about this interview is I love just kind of talking shop, right, with guys that are operating at a really high level. Dan and Mike have done 25 fairly large multifamily acquisitions, thousands of units. They're operating in six different markets, including New Mexico, Texas, Florida, Minnesota, Alabama, and places like that, Arkansas. And so it's really fun to just spend time with another guy that's really making it happen with some major acquisitions and talk about things, talk about the market. So here's what you're going to learn on this show. Number one, you're going to learn why Mike and Dan focus on B and C class multifamily, specifically 100 to 250 unit projects. Number two, Mike and I talk about why we feel like it's so important to be a financial educator and a financial teacher to your kids and your grandkids and why the the school system really fails children in learning about the financial markets and how to personally invest as young kids. Number three, we're going to talk about strategies to de-risk your business. And there's actually five different things that we talk about in particular to de-risk your business. Then number four, we're going to talk specifically about Mike's latest book. His latest book is called Four Steps to Successful Passive Investing. And Dan and Mike are going to walk us through the four specific steps to successful passive investing. Number five, you're going to learn why Mike says you should skip the small stuff and why you should pay more for better talent, right? And then finally, number six, we're going to talk about some of the specific traits or the lessons that Mike's learned along the way. And specifically why starting in your backyard makes a lot of sense, but very quickly, you need to move into growth markets after you've done your first couple of deals. So you're going to love this interview today on Accelerated Investor with my friend and very experienced multifamily investor, Michael Roeder from Granite Towers Equity Group. Here we go. So, hey, Mike, listen, thanks so much for joining me today on Accelerated Investor. Thanks for carving out a few minutes. How are you? Doing very well. I really appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely, man. So listen, let's talk real quick about the market. And as we kind of introduce you to our audience, I would love to hear about some of your passion projects and kind of what kind of gets you going. What are you passionate about in today's market? Obviously, the market's changed a lot and everybody's kind of got some different answers a year ago. When I would ask that, or two years ago, I'd ask the question, everybody was just acquiring, 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 acquiring. And now I find a lot of guys that are operators are really shoring up operations. They're being a little bit different about their underwriting, but everybody's got passion projects. So what gets you going, Mike? Yeah. So multifamily is our gig. It has been for the last approximately eight years or so. And, you know, when I got into investing, I started out in the single family space. I can share more about that in just a bit. But right now, passion projects, solely multifamily, B and C class projects, typically in between that 100 to 250 unit space. Uh, but when you said a lot of operators are kind of shoring up operations and slowing down on acquisitions right now, 
We have one project in the works right now. Other than that, it's been a fairly slow start to the year. And, you know, obviously with everything that's going on, uh, interest rates rising, possible recession on the horizon, you know, we just are, are taking a step back, making sure that we're underwriting properly and making sure that we're getting into great projects that we really, really, truly believe in. Got it. Love it, Mike. And how about outside of real estate? What is there anything that you like as we kind of get to know you a little bit better? What, what do you like to do when you're not? Definitely. So, so, so family is big for us. My wife and two daughters, we have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. So integrating them into the business, especially the 10-year-old, she's absolutely loving it. The seven-year-old starting to come around. Um, we do a lot of traveling as well. And a lot of times what we've been doing recently is focusing on business and pleasure while we travel. So if we bring our kids, with, we'll do due diligence with them or we'll bring them to shop an apartment complex, which has been an absolute blast. Yeah. And Mike, why, why is that a focus for you? I mean, you know, if you really think about the younger age, the youth, and even the way we were raised, finance was like a personal finance investing was not really part of the curriculum, right? Like there's nobody that's really teaching finance and personal finance. So as a father, as an investor, how do you look at that when, as you're raising your kids? I ask that because I'm a dad, right? I got three kids. So I'm just curious how other dads are looking at personal finance investing inside their family structure. That's a great question. Um, you know, when I look back to my youth, when I was in grade school and middle school and high school, I really didn't get any guidance on, you know, financial literacy, you know, business literacy, entrepreneurship. And I've really enjoyed being an entrepreneur and, you know, bu building that business throughout the years and networking and whatnot. So I, I think it's very, very important that we teach our kids that. And even if it's not entrepreneurship, just to how to handle their finances and how to invest. So that's ex extremely important to me. And I think the earlier on that you can involve them with those types of things, you know, the more interest that they're going to have. And you can really cater it to a younger crowd. You know, there's specific ways that you can make it fun for them and interesting. So that way they build, you know, that want and that desire to kind of jump into the business field or the investing field. Yeah. I tell my audience all the time and even my kids, you know, practice equals confidence. Yep. And if you could start when they're seven or 10, my kids are 14, 13, and 11, you can get them practicing even how to understand like a note mortgage or, or an equity investment or how to underwrite a deal or, you know, how to divide NOI into cap rates. And you can learn that. Um, I also tell my audience all the time that, you know, real estate really is sixth grade math. It's really simple addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication. IRR equations can get a little more complicated. But outside of that, everything else is fairly straightforward. Something that any sixth grader could understand, right? And, and, and a sixth grader could do. It's unfortunate, though, that so many people don't have a lot of education about personal finance. So it doesn't get passed down. And so it's, it's, it's great to meet another dad that, you know, taking an active, an active role in that because it's, it's really, really needed in our, in our world. Uh, Mike, listen, about today's market, before we jump into your new book, The Four Steps to Successful Passive Investing, why don't you just talk today about, about the market? Like, where do you think the markets go? We all think, we've talked about it a lot. We think we're going to go into recession, maybe in Q3, Q4, Q1 of next year. We think the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise rates. And then on the backside of the recession, the rates will probably start coming down maybe in the second half of 2024, 2025. That seems to be the consensus for the most part. So first of all, do you agree with that? And if you do, 
how are you adjusting, making plans, uh, or are you, is that changing your investment philosophy at all? Great question. So I, I partially agree with, with the rate talk. You know, I think rates will eventually come down. However, I don't think any of us know exactly what inflation is going to do over the next year or two. And if it's, you know, tough to tame down the inflation, I could see rates being a little bit higher for longer. So what we've done is we've decided to go into fixed rate debt, you know, secure loans where the interest rate is in between five to five and a half percent, you know, where we have a five to 10 year fixed runway, um, just to mitigate risk and really be able to navigate the possible rough waters ahead of us. Another thing I like about that is, you know, you're taking all the interest rate risk off the table. So that's an uncontrollable item. If you have a, a bridge loan or a floating rate loan, you know, it's it's really not in your control. It's in the Fed's control or in the economy's control. Now, I do think if the economy breaks and they're seeing some major, major pain, which we haven't seen yet, in my opinion, yeah, they might lay off interest rates. But when is that going to happen? I mean, we've been waiting for kind of the blood to hit the streets for the last year and it hasn't happened yet. So will it happen, you know, in the next 12 months or is it going to take 12 to 24 months? Who knows? We've also adjusted our rent growth projections, you know, over the next year or two, depending upon the submarket. Obviously, rent growth has cooled off a lot over the last couple of years. You know, we saw anywhere in between 10 to 20% rent growth. That's not <laughs> going to be consistent from here on out. So <laughs> Yep. So we're we're typically underwriting, you know, maybe two to four percent average over a five-year period. Just because when you look at historical numbers over the last 15, 20 years, that's typically the range that most of these good submarkets are in. So we're doing that. Um, you know, cap rates have went up over the last 12 months. So just you know, making sure that we have a good solid reversion cap rate that we're really comfortable with. Now, I do think that cap rates are going to come back down. When the interest rates decrease, also there's a lot of money sitting on the sideline, both institutional investors and you know investors like myself. So once that capital floods back into the market, you're probably going to see the cap rates compress. Um, so those are a few of the adjustments that they, we've made. We've also made an adjustment on the areas that we're buying over the last couple of years. We're buying in nicer areas where the median household income is typically about fifty-five thousand on the one mile on up. Whereas we used to not be afraid to buy, you know, in the thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar range, it's getting tougher and tougher for those tenants to afford the rents because cost of living is going up. Um, plus, you're seeing a little bit more delinquency and vacancy in those submarkets, you know, in some markets. So that's another adjustment that we've made. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, one of the things that we've seen a recent phenomenon is we look back at historical data on one of our buildings um, that's more in that lower income, thirty-five to forty thousand within the one mile. And we just actually had a meeting this morning before we jumped on with you. And property managers like look historically, 
we've seen big lease ups in late March and 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 April because tax refund season has happened. Yep. And so, you know, we know, especially in the Cleveland market, nobody really moves around the holidays, kind of slows down in November, really doesn't really pick up until around February 1st because of the holidays. But then with this particular building in this particular submarket, she's like, look, you know, April 1, last year we signed 14 leases just in April. So she's like, we should be expecting that to come up. So we're prepping for that. They're doing some St. Patrick's Day type of marketing, you know, some, hey, we'll match your tax refund up to $300, up to $500 type of marketing, because we know uh, that that's going to be coming. And so we're excited um, about those. So I love, yeah, I love the discussion about really just de-risking your business, right? And, you know, de-risking comes down to eliminating the question marks. And you've talked about de-risking by you know, adjusting rent growth projections, going to fixed rate financing, cap rate reversion, and then working with bigger and better income. So love love all of that. Now, Mike, let's pivot to taking those strategies we just talked about. And how does that apply to passive investing and the steps to passive investing? You wrote this new book, Four Steps to Successful Passive Investing. It's available, guys, for all of our audience on Mike's website. It's granitetowersequitygroup.com. And then you can find it's forward slash free dash e dash book. So we'll put that in the in the show notes. But the book is available. So with everything you just described, now let's pivot a little bit and talk about passive investing, limited partners investing. What are some nuggets in the book that we should convey to those passive investors, limited partners, and what they should be doing to successfully invest. So let's just start, I guess, with step one, chapter one. Like, what's your favorite part of the book? What's your biggest message when you wanted to write the book? Yeah, and step one is the most important um, for myself and Dan, my business partner. You know, when I look back, when we started investing in multifamily, we bought a couple of small projects, a 20-unit and an 8-unit. But alongside that, we are also passively investing with other partners. And we jumped into it really quickly. We were excited about multifamily, the potential that it had. So we found other syndicators and we shoveled our money into those opportunities. And looking back, you know, those projects did well, but there's a couple of things that we missed out on that we should have done. So number one, you know, you got to get to know, like, and trust the general partners. Very, very important. I would say this is the most important thing that you can hone in on when you're a passive investor. So a couple of things that you can do, you know, you can ask about their track record. What kind of properties are they operating? How many units do they have? What markets are they in? How have those properties done as far as total returns if they've went full cycle? You can ask for investor referrals. I mean, any syndicator that's doing multifamily you know, projects or any other type of syndication, they should have multiple investors that have invested with them throughout the years. And you should be able to contact those people and ask how their experience has been with these syndicators. And not only ask that, ask, you know, what would you like to see done differently that these syndicators are doing now? That's a really good way to phrase a question where it's not making them think like they're talking negatively about the group, but information is going to come up like, hey, you know, I wish they would communicate a little bit better with us, or I wish they'd give us, you know, accessibility to the financials. You know, if you can set up at least a 15 to 30 minute call um, with the syndicator and just get to know them face to face or on Zoom, you know, that's going to give you a a really gut feel for that general partner as well. And then if you're in the market or if you're flying into the market sometime in the future that these 
general partners are investing in, go and drive by a couple of their properties and see how they look. Are the grounds really clean? You know, is there a ton of deferred maintenance? Um, how is the staff going and, and peek your head? And if you can, you know, if you can get the okay to do that. So those are a couple of ways to, to really vet the partnership team. Yeah, I love it. So important, right? Because, you know, these deals, you know, they're not, it's not a one-year deal, right? It's not a two-year deal. And certainly we flipped some buildings in a very short amount of time. A lot of them that we didn't plan on selling that we ended up selling because the timing was right. Um, investors were super happy with that. But generally it's three to seven-year marriage, right? And you got to be comfortable and nothing goes exactly as planned, sometimes better, sometimes not quite as good. And so you want to know really, you know, you go into the deal, like how is this general partner going to operate, keep me up to speed, you know, inform me, communicate with me, because we know that nothing's going to go exactly like the pro forma. And so, you know, just communication through that process is, is huge. And so, yeah, getting to know, like, and trust the general partners, that's like page one, right. Of, of the book and different and specific uh, questions to ask. What's step number two, or what's the next thing that you think the big takeaway is from the book that our investors should know? Yeah, step number two would be researching the market. You know, the location of the asset and where you're investing is crucial to the performance. You know, again, going back to our experience, when we first started investing in multifamily, we chose the wrong market. We invested in our backyard, a small town in central Minnesota. And, you know, if we would have invested in Dallas, Fort Worth or Nashville or in the Carolinas in a really good submarket, we would have made, you know, 10 to 15 fold, you know, what we made with those projects. So I think you need to know the market. A couple of things that you can look out for, you know, how landlord friendly is the city and the state. So you, you don't just want to take a look at the state. You want to look at the city that you're investing in. Also, what's the population growth look like? It does it have a business friendly climate or businesses moving to the area? All very, very important pieces of the puzzle. Uh, another thing that we focus on too is how big is the submarket? You know, if you're investing in a tertiary market, it might be really tough to find contractors, to find a good solid property management company, to find a backup property management company if you have to fire that first one, to find landscapers. You know, there's just so many pieces of the puzzle, and you want to make sure that you're investing in an area where it supports you know, what you're looking to do with the property. So that would be step number two. Yeah, research in the market is key. And you know what? Like out of our hundreds of limited partners, almost none of them, I would say it's very small number, very small percentage, Mike, that actually have said, hey, where can I get the numbers about the market, the sub-market? Like, can you pull yeah. me a CoStar report or what kind of data have you aggregated? You know, what kind of different reports, Josh, are you using to, to pick markets and pick properties. And can I see those reports, right? So if you're a limited partner doing some kind of passive investing, or obviously if you're a general partner, that's something that you have to know. A lot of people do start in their backyard and a lot of backyards, especially tertiary markets, small markets or markets that are you know, going the wrong direction with population growth and job growth, the backyard's not always the best place to be. Sometimes it's the most comfortable place to be, because you're just, especially when you're just getting going and maybe you have a starter deal, a 20 unit or something or a 50 unit that you do, but then to quickly move into a market that has growing financials, growing population, growing jobs um, in the path of progress is, is going to be really, really important. Awesome stuff, Mike. How about step number three? 
Step number three would be analyze the property. And in all of these steps, it doesn't have to take a considerable amount of time. You know, the first step, you know, I would say spend the most time on that one, but researching the market, analyzing the property, and then the step number four, you know, you could spend 20 to 30 minutes on each of those steps, and that'll allow you to give you, a, you know, a good baseline to make your decision off of. Uh, but again, step three is analyze the property. So just make sure that you know how to look at the numbers, you know, take a look at the rent growth, take a look at the vacancy, look at their other income, you know, look at the rents that they're looking to push to, and maybe just jump on apartments.com and take a look at the competitors. Are the competitors in line with what, uh, you know, the subject property is trying to charge? Again, you know, within a 30 minute time frame, you should be able to, to dig up a lot of information on that property. And if you don't feel comfortable looking at the numbers, ask questions or go out and get yourself educated by, you know, watching some syndicators webinars or, you know, listening to some podcasts like this or reading some books. You know, I think that is just crucial to be able to look at the numbers because when all is said and done, these spreadsheets are spreadsheets. You know, the numbers can be modified very, very easily. So you have to trust the people that are putting together the numbers, but you also have to know what you're looking at as well. Yeah, there's so many great reports out there. I was just looking up some of my decks. I'm going to have to bring it up on a different call or at a different time because I just don't think I can bring it up quick enough here live on the show. But there are so many great reports out there from Marcus and Millichap to CoStar to Collier's. You know, there's a lot of great stuff out there. I mean, a lot of the big financial firms and accounting firms put out multifamily and real estate reports, and they don't really take a whole lot of time to read. And if you're going to make a $100,000 investment or a million dollar investment, or as a general partner, it could be a $20 million investment. I mean, it's a crime. It's a sin not to read as much of that data as you can, and then to read it every year because things are going to change. I mean, who would have thought in 2021, you'd see 13 and 17% rent growth in certain markets because right. of COVID and some of that type of stuff. And then obviously that cooled off relatively quickly in a lot of markets. So analyzing the property and really going with long-term projections. Obviously, if you have a year where growth is amazing, fantastic. That's an extra win. And you know, just with basic inflation, rents should be going up. I mean, you know, owning a property for 30 years really is the goal, right? Own it long-term and yeah, almost yeah. never sell. It, you know, so you get into a property and you own it for a long time, you're married to that property. You want to know, you want to analyze the property and know what you're investing in. Fantastic stuff. So, Mike, how about step number four? Step number four would be know the team. And you know, a lot of a lot of people might think that that means know the general partners. What we're talking about here is know the team that's surrounding the general partners. So who is doing the asset management? Who do they have hired for their CPA work, the legal work, the property management team? Critically important. You know, do they have experience with that property management team? You know, that's one of the most important pieces is the on-site personnel plus the property management team. So they're regional. And if you don't have synergy there, and if you don't have a great property management team, properties can slip very quickly. So you just need to know who's all involved on this transaction, how much experience do they have with them, and why is the general partnership really excited about the team that they've put together for the deal? Yeah. And I think that's critical. Like If we've seen anything even in the last year, it's that property managers, even the best of the best, can run into challenges with labor, right, Mike? So they have to have a good recruiting and HR department. If you're working with any property manager with some size, 
they're going to have an HR company because there's a fair amount of turnover with maintenance techs. There's a fair amount of turnover with leasing agents. I mean, Amazon, the threat of Amazon is real in that people that were maybe a property manager making 30 bucks an hour, but had to deal with tenant turnover, had to deal with a boss, had to deal with these kind of things. They can go work in a climate controlled environment with benefits at Amazon for 25 or 30 bucks an hour and just punch the clock it's stuff packages, right? So exactly. that has become a serious threat to any industry because now we have a labor shortage. And so when we've seen property managers have problems, it's not usually because the lead property manager is bad or the regional is bad. It's usually because of their support, the maintenance tax, the leasing agents, the porters mm. that have the lower income type of jobs, there's a lot of turnover. And when there's a lot of turnover, those are the guys working in the dirt that are doing the stuff, yep. cleaning up the grounds, moving people in, cleaning up the trash, you know, doing leasing, punch outs, final cleans. And if that can't get done, you can't move people in and out, right? So that is a real thing with this labor, you know, the labor shortage that we have. And so surrounding the GP with a great team is, is critical. Somebody's yeah. doing medium value add or deep value add, then obviously the contractor, the construction company becomes critical. And then what about their labor, right? That that really is the problem. Supply chain is not really the problem anymore. It's the labor market is. And I think that's a huge point that you bring up in step number four. Guys, real quick, just to go back to number three, I found a list here that I've created that I, I talk about during our uh, virtual training events that we do. And I'm just going to rip through these real quick. So Mike, maybe you have used some of these. So CoStar does their uh, group global predictions white paper, comes out January every year. Marcus Amilichap has a national US multifamily report. Marcus Amilichap does their multifamily research briefs. Reonomy does a state of CRE and outlook. CBRE does a biannual cap rate survey. Colliers does their global investor outlook. Colliers does local market research. PricewaterhouseCoopers does emerging trends in real estate. So there's eight different reports I'll actually make sure that we put those in the show notes so our audience can go click on those and download those reports if they want. That goes into analyzing the market and analyzing the property that Mike talked about in step two and step number three. Um, awesome stuff. Now, Mike, listen, obviously you guys have done 25 acquisitions, thousands of units. If you look back at your journey from being a single family investor and starting with that 20 unit, that eight unit, the, the smaller properties and where you're at today, what would be your main takeaways? What would be the main pieces of advice, not just with real estate, but with your entrepreneurial journey? What do you think are some lessons that you've learned or some traits that you have that you think people have to have to be successful? That's a great question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over a couple of things that I would have done differently, and then I can talk about the traits as well. You know, looking back over the last, gosh, what has it been, 15 years or 14 years since I started investing in real estate, personally, I wish I would have skipped the small stuff. Um, so I started out in single family. I thought it was going to resolve, you know, me looking to, to become financially free and my passive income issues. And what it did is it created a whole nother job for me. So I was running an hour from my you know, primary residence to my rental properties, trying to take care of all the maintenance, leasing the properties up, doing everything I could so that way I could cash flow every month. And the reason for that was you, know, you couldn't find a management company to manage the deals for less than a 10% cost you know, on the income that you're bringing in. It was just extremely hard to cash flow those deals. 
So that was tough. Then I moved into the small multifamily. We bought a 20 unit, bought an eight unit. Those did well, you know, at first, but we didn't have the economies of scale. We didn't have a great property management company in place because most of the great property management companies didn't want to manage, you know, unit sizes that small. And also, you know, when we had to replace a roof or a boiler, I mean, that knocked out the cash flow for a considerable amount of time, whereas that's not happening with our larger properties these days. So I would have done that differently. Also looking back, you know, on our organization and, you know, in the multifamily arena, hiring A players. So spend a little bit more on the people that you're bringing on your team, your team members, whether that's in-house, you know, if you're hiring on an asset manager or a CFO or regardless, or if you're hiring on an on-site manager or a leasing agent, pay a little bit more if you can, because you're going to attract better talent and you're going to have better retention. You're going to have better success at the property. So that's another thing, you know, looking back, if I would have known that right away and implemented that, we probably would have had even more success. And then traits, like you had mentioned, you know, I think in this industry, you know, if you're a general partner, you got to be self-motivated, you got to have grit, you got to be persistent. Things don't happen easily or quickly. So you have to keep your foot on the gas, you know, through the ups and the downs. And that's just extremely important. We see a lot of people jump into this industry And, you know, a lot of people will try hard for six to 12 months and maybe nothing happens and they drop out and you got to just stick with it for the long haul. And with passive investors, it's a little bit different because you're not sticking in all that time and effort. But again, do your homework up front, because if you don't do your homework, you know, it's more likely that you're going to get into some bad deals. You're going to get burnt out and, you know, bummed out on the returns and you're going to exit the industry when really you should have done your homework and you should have stuck with it. So... Yeah, great stuff. I'm actually a little excited about this upcoming, what do you call it, slowdown, recession, what have you, because guys like you and I that have been around the block for a while, we saw that the 08 crash, we saw the chaos of COVID, we're seeing this slowdown here. I think it's going to thin the herd. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I are going to be salivating. I don't know about you, Mike, but right now, one of the things we're focused on is focusing even more on investor relations, recruiting more capital, warming up a lot of money, keeping a lot of dry powder because there's going to be some distress in the market. And there's also just going to be less offers, less buyers. You know, deals that used to have 15 offers, competitive, a call for offer, a second call for offer, third call for offer. And then they select you and then they still want you to go up on your on your on that. <laughs> Those days are pretty much gone, not totally. Some sub-markets are still very competitive, but that used to happen in tertiary, weird markets, small markets, where you had five and eight and 10 buyers, whereas in the past, it was like, you know, who invests in multifamily in this little sub-market? Now there was 15 people doing it. And so it's going to thin the herd. It's going to create real opportunity for guys that are very confident. And as I said, as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, confidence comes with practice. And now you and I have had a lot of practice everything we talked about from operations to acquisitions and those kind of things and you know real experience and and that's that's what I'm looking forward to as we go forward. So um I'm just going to wrap up the show by saying look guys, I'm going to put in the show notes these eight different research reports that we use. I'll make sure those are in there. But primarily, make sure you grab Mike's book, granitetowersequitygroup.com and then forward slash free dash e dash book, check it out. Make sure you guys download your own version, engage with Mike and his team, get to know them. If they've got investment opportunities, take a look. 
And so, Mike, listen, just want to thank you for carving out some time for us today on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Josh. It's been a blast. Well, there you have it, guys. I listen, I love it when we have a topic such as four steps to successful passive investing and a book to kind of guide the conversation. I love that kind of format and interviewing Mike and talking about the book and some of the specific things that he learned. So make sure you grab the book, uh, granitetowersequitygroup.com. And then again, don't forget, guys, listen, we're going to be doing our live events, the Forever Passive Income Live every couple of months. And so you can get your ticket for that at foreverpassiveincome.com. We have an event coming up really soon. We have promotions that are always going on for uh, discounted ticket prices or to be able to upgrade to VIP for some sort of discount. So make sure you visit foreverpassiveincome.com to get your ticket for that right now. If you enjoyed the show today, as always, subscribe, like it, rate it, review it. It would mean so much to me and to my staff to hear your feedback. Thanks a lot. And we'll be here. We'll see you next time. Take care. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com. <laughs>